0: I would say to you in here, uh, welcome back. Uh, I would say to uh, anyone who happens to be seeing this online, uh, we've been in our gymnasium for uh, four weeks. Um, We had to do a little bit of upkeep, renovation in here. Um, The carpet that was in here did not owe us any money at all. It had been here 30 years or so, and uh, it had held up pretty, pretty well. And so, we needed to change that out, and uh, if you've ever had carpet laid in your home, you know that's about a day job for a room. Uh, that's about a month's job when you've got to take every pew in here out and put them back in order, and, uh, but they did that in a month, and uh, did that, but at the same time, uh, just so you know, there was a team of guys that, that helped out, but Pastor Andy was in here almost all day, every day for a month, um, improving our sound uh, capabilities. And uh, if, if you're a person that hears things, it's clearer and cleaner today uh, than before. If you're not, trust me, it is. If you go, I really? I didn't notice any difference. That's great. Because if you don't notice the sound, it's right, okay? Um, but uh, it wasn't that we spent a lot of money uh, on that, Pastor Andy. Uh, you know, over 30 years, that too had just progressed and aged. And so if one line wasn't working right somebody said well let's just plug it into this one so he he redid every line in here looking at them fixing them when they were broken uh we had several guys come in and help with all that and uh and just improved a lot of things here that you may not notice but I just want you to know that uh, that was a long process and and uh and and so he got everything right checked it last week and it was good. Came in this morning, turned it on. It wasn't good, and uh, that's the nature of electronic stuff. And uh, but but in just a few minutes, they got it all straightened out with a lot of help again. But uh, we're good and we're online, so we're we're glad. We're in and we're in uh, Genesis forty nine today. I call I'm calling this the prophecy of blessing. Last week it was the the, the power of the blessing. Jacob blesses Joseph. I will at least tell you what why he did that early. Uh, but this chapter is a prophetic chapter. Jacob is telling all his sons what's going to happen to them, and it does. And um, and in an even greater way, this is what we would call a double prophecy. In that it was specific for what he was saying, but it also had an another meaning. That applied to a greater thing. And we find several of those in the Bible. You're very familiar around Christmas time. Behold a virgin shall conceive. Um, That was said to Isaiah. And it was said to him about his own son. Because in Hebrew, the word for young woman and virgin are, are not interchangeable, but, uh, but it could be young woman. And it was referring to Isaiah's wife and the child they would have and what God was going to do in that, within the lifespan of that child. But it also applied to Christ. And we didn't know that until we get in the New Testament. And it tells us that. And in the Greek language of the New Testament, it can only mean virgin. So, we understand that Isaiah had a double prophecy back there, uh, meaning uh, a double meaning. Well, Jacob's prophecy here has a double meaning. I can already tell you, uh, we have a clock back. It still doesn't mean much, but it's there. I can see it now. Uh, Last uh, past month, I had to do this to see what time it was. Um, But uh, I can already tell you, I won't get to that today, and I may not ever come back to it. So, I encourage you to look at it that the that the prophecy in order that Jacob gives to these sons follows the historical sequence of things that happened in the nation of Israel. Some of that's still to happen, and it goes into the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, but even uh, in this prophecy, we will find the first coming of Christ. And I will take a minute to look at that part uh, because it's very important. So I, I just say all that to you. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. And that is that you can trust God's promises. There are many religions in the world. And, and all of them are the same. Uh, number one, most of them uh, uh, are, are very, uh, we call it animism. It's rooted in nature. It's what we can observe and just trying to figure out what kind of power is here. Um, that's animism, and that is the biggest worldwide thing. But all religions except Christianity have one thing particular in common. It's man trying to get to and understand God. Christianity's different because God understood us already and came to tell us about himself. Those are two different things. Those are totally, they're opposites. There's, there's no way those two things can meet. God revealed Himself to us in a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All other religions is man's attempt to get to God, so they're all very legalistic because you've got to do certain things, certain orders, certain amount of times to hopefully get enlightened, where the scripture says we come to know God because He first knew us, He created us, He came to us, and when we realize that that's who he is we begin to follow him and he continues to reveal himself to us through the scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and so I want you to stand with me we're going to read a couple of a few verses out of Genesis 49 I'm going to read the first two and then jump down to verse 28 and uh, finish the chapter out and here's what it says in the first two verses Jacob called his sons and said gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come a uh, uh, symbol and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel your father. And then down in verse 28, all these were the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. In other words, it applied to them and it was true. Verse 29, then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers. In the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought uh, with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. these they buried, uh, There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And the field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we look at your word today, uh, we're going to see some things uh, where you were speaking prophetically through Jacob. And these things happened. And Lord, as we see that every time you make a prophecy, it comes true. It gives us uh, the confidence that what you have said is going to happen, that hasn't yet, will happen. Um, it, it is, you, you've never failed in any prophecy you made. And so that's how we know truly it's the message from you. Because every time you speak, what you said happens. So Lord, we pray that this day you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things you've put in your word. Things that we can learn, things that will encourage us, things that strengthen us. And all the things that you gave us to obey. Uh, Lord, the main being, to love the Lord our God with all our soul and heart and strength. And the second like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, may those two things be true in our life this day. We ask you now, uh, even as Michael the archangel said, to our enemy, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, Lord, we would say that to our enemy today. We ask you to rebuke Satan for us. We take authority by, because we are the adopted sons of God and the power of Jesus Christ. We don't have that authority, but... Christ does and in his name we ask you to give us freedom give us protection and may the Holy Spirit indeed open our minds so that we can see these wonderful wonderful truths and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus amen you God bless you. you can sit down I want you to know that you can trust God's promises but I, this chapter has so much in it. I've said that as I'm coming to the end of Genesis, I've been looking and listening and reading and do, and in and, and places I didn't even know I would wind up looking at things. And I've learned so much, I want to go back and do it again. But I, don't worry, I'm not going to, okay? Um, and I'm going to encourage you to do some study. I, uh, what I said about this timeline of, of what Jacob says to his sons. Because, you know, honestly, as a pastor, I'm reading, and I, I read the chapter, and I go, okay, that's a lot of details, a lot of stuff there. What does it all mean? Well, it means two things. It happened to these boys, what God said. But it also goes into the future, and we can see fulfillment happening through history, So, I, I want to look at, first of all, um, the importance of Jacob's prophetic blessings. And, and, and to do that, I want to put it in context and look at this, these first two verses for a second and point out a couple of important things. So, Jacob calls his sons together. He says, gather yourselves together that I can tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. This is a, a, a set of words that only appear 14 times in the Old Testament. And, and it's akin to what we read in Revelation as we're getting that prophecy, that whole book of prophecy, where, um, where it says, and so then after this, I saw this. And it's sort of like, and this happened, and then this happened. Th- that is what Jacob is saying. Guys, let me tell you what's coming, what's going to happen. It's a, it's a phrase that ought to catch our attention. And this is, uh, there are other prophecies in, in the book of Genesis, but... Um, only fourteen times does the Old Testament use this in the end times, and that's actually what Jacob is saying saying here in the Old Testament. And then the first prophecy in Genesis is chapter three fifteen, where God tells Satan that He's going to put enmity between His seed and her seed, being the woman. Um, and so there's going to be this fight. Uh, and and this is really the battle cry of the Bible, Genesis three fifteen. We we've uh, watered down Christianity to mean solely that you were lost and needed a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, and you ought to receive him into your heart and follow him. All of that is true, but that's not all there is. When you become a Christian, you have been put into the family of God, but also the army of God, because God is in a fight with his enemy, Satan, throughout time and throughout history, and will lead us to eternity Where Satan is trying to overthrow and overtake God and his kingdom. And guess what? We're in that fight. We call it spiritual warfare. You've heard that term. Don't mind saying, oh, I'm a prayer warrior. Really? Have you come face to face with the devil in prayer and fought him? This is what we, that's who we are fighting. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting politics. We're not fighting the music industry, the entertainment industry. We're not fighting our neighbor. We're not fighting religion. We're fighting Satan himself. And we fight him with the truth that we find in the Word of God. This is the Word of God. This is the only book in the world. All religions have one thing in common. They have another book than the Bible that they hold with equal authority to the Bible. But guess what? You can't have five or ten or one different one of those. And it disagree with this and they both be true. And every one of those disagree with the Bible. So one or the other is true. You got to pick which one you're going to believe. Some people, your other Bible is the book of culture. What you have learned, just being born into the family, the place you were born, how you grew up, and you think that's the way to do everything. I encourage you to, to, I'm going to Africa next week. Uh, Not this coming, but after Sunday, next Sunday, we'll, we'll be leaving to go there. And, and I know a little bit about the culture of Africa. And I wrote the guy that, where we're going. I just said, hey, I know this is African culture. Can I bring this? What, what do I need to bring? And he went, hey, thanks for the question. And he gave me suggestions. I really appreciate it. Why? Because they don't think like we think. It's not the same. So are we right and they're wrong just because we're culturally different? No, of course not. So this is the Word of God. And over here, you've got a book of culture. You've got to decide which one's your Bible. Are you going to believe God's Word? Are you going to believe how you grew up? Are you going to believe some other religion, some other thing? You either trust God or you don't. You either trust the Word or you don't. And I want to show you today, you can trust God's Word. And there's a lot to that. I'm going to stop doing that because I'll go on all day about that. There's another, there's another fulfilled prophecy in Genesis. In chapter 15 and verse 13, Abraham, God says to Abram, No, for certain your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. He gives him the time frame. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. 400 years later, Moses comes, uh, and God delivers his people. Uh, Joseph, he knew there was going to be seven years of abundance, seven years of lean. God revealed that to him. And so, we see prophetic messages in the Bible, but I want you to understand something about prophecy. There's fulfilled, and there's unfulfilled. There are still prophecies that haven't happened yet. And we are always trying to guess uh, because some of it is, is a little bit clouded. We don't quite get it. But we know what God's already done and we know what he's going to do. In fact, if you read the end of the book of Daniel, God says to Daniel, nope, we're going to shut that up until the end times. Nobody will even understand what you said. And that's true. You can look in church history and people were sh- struggled with what Daniel said up until recent history until now. So we know we're getting much, much closer to the end. And so we we have a lot of things like that in the Bible. So I want to look at a couple of things in Jacob's uh, prophecies. One is about uh, two of the boys, Reuben and Judah. I just want to look at them a little bit. I wish I could do all 12, but I can't. So Reuben, and we see him in verses 3 and 4 of 49. And it says this, Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. Man, he gives him this brag, and then he goes, yeah, and then you're as unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, you went up to my couch. He's talking about back when Jacob did some things, and or more accurately did not do some things Reuben and the other boys thought he should have done and Reuben says I'm going to take charge I'm going to take authority I'm the oldest son dad's senile obviously so I'm going to take over now, I'm not sure that's exactly what he said but something along those lines and, and he went into one of his father's wives Bilhah one of the servants of one of his wives and that was abomination and Jacob didn't do anything about it until now and he looks at Reuben and says, you've lost it all because of what you did. You've lost your birthright. You've lost your power. And so that was in Genesis 35 where that happened. And then I want you to see what he does here. That birthright is given to Joseph. Remember last week's sermon, if you were here, hopefully you do, that, that Jacob brings Joseph and his boys in and he says, I'm going to give the power to your sons. He said, they will be like they are my sons. He didn't adopt them he gave them Reuben's birthright. You say, well, I don't see that there. Well, you got to look at First Chronicles 5, 1 and 2 that says this. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. Though Judah became strong among his brothers and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. That's first Chronicles 5, Verses 1 and 2. So he lost his leadership. That was given to Judah. The, the, the rights of the firstborn was given to Joseph's sons, but the right of leadership passed on to Judah. In Judges 5, 15 and 16, uh, it, it, it talks about the princes of, uh, of Issachar, and Deborah, uh, there's attack came, Sisera. They come into the valley, and it says this, Among the clans of Reuben there was a great, cha- uh, great searching of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfold to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there was great searching of heart. The, his brothers are under attack, and he's debating, they're debating with themselves whether they ought to go help or not. If your brother's under attack, man, you run to the guns. You go f- get with them. You stand with them, not Reuben, weak as water. And this leadership passes to Judah, all the kings except one were from Judah. And so uh, we find all this out about Reuben. And Reuben is kind of like Jacob was uh, before. Jacob, well, he wasn't, un, un, he wasn't shook, uh, shaken, but he, he did a lot of wrong things. And I want you to go back to verse 2 and notice this. In verse 2, Jacob says, Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. uh, Listen to Israel, your father. Jacob changes, he uses both his names. And if you read it and you remember that God changed Jacob's name to Israel, he's saying, you're my sons, you inherited Jacob for me. You inherited being Jacobish, which is, I messed up a lot. And I had a bad time, and you're going to get that. But learn from Israel. Learn from what God did in my life. Learn what God wants to do in your life. And then he gives them these prophecies. And that's important for you to know because God changed your name if you're a believer. You know that? You don't know that name. Only Jesus does, and he's going to tell you what it is in heaven, and nobody else will still know that name but you. According to what Revelation says, he's going to give you a stone with your name on it. That's just for you to know. That's you and Jesus. And only you know. I think that's pretty awesome. Well, let's look at Judah, because that's much more uh, important to to us today. And that's verses 8 through 12, and I'm not going to read them all. But but he said four prophecies about Judah. One thing he said that Judah would lead his brothers, that's in, in verse 8. Uh, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Uh, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. So he gives Judah the leadership of the nation of Israel. And Judah was the one who convinced his brothers not to kill Joseph. Judah is the one who spoke up to Jacob and promised, guaranteed that Benjamin would come back safely. Judah speaks for his brothers in front of Joseph, and he speaks to Joseph for his brothers. And today, if you use the term Jewish, the word Jew or Jewish means be like Judah. Or, you, or Judah, you are like Judah. So even the word Jewish comes from Judah. Uh, I, why is that important? Because guess what tribe Jesus came from? Right, he's the lion of the tribe of, lion of the tribe of, Thank you. Okay. want everybody say it together. And he is going to be a conqueror. You see that in verse 8. You're going to stand on the neck of your enemies. David beat Goliath. David had a bunch of victories, right? David killed his 10,000, Saul his 1,000. The kingdom under Solomon defeated all the enemies around him, uh, some militarily, some by uh, other means. And then, but we come to Revelation 5, and Jesus, that last one in the king's line, sets up a kingdom that can't be seen with eyes. Well, we can, sort of, because if you're a believer in this room, you're part of that kingdom. So we see each other, we're all in that kingdom, but the kingdom itself is still hidden. That's why he's coming back. He's going to establish it here on earth, uh, for at least for a season. And the, in verse 12, and this is an, uh, well, not verse 12, but uh, down in verse 10, we see the prophecy that it'll be the royal line of kings. Look at this. The scepter... And just back up to 9, because it's kind of uh, cool. Judah is a lion's cub. And Jesus is what? The lion. That's why I wear a ring with a lion on it. From the, tribe, uh, from the tribe of Judah. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down and crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from, his, from Judah. The scepter is like the stick they held, showing that they are the king. It's a it's a symbol of kingship. Uh, when I, I was in Africa before in a different country than to which I'm going, but we were there and we went to a village and the chief had a scepter and it it, it, it wasn't a fancy one. It was some kind of I don't even know how they made it, but it was wrapped up in leather and it had stuff coming out. Well they sold little trinkets that looked like that on a keychain. And I still have that. It's on my motorcycle key. And so that's my keychain for that because when I'm on the motorcycle, I feel like a chief, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's kind of a joke, y'all. But anyhow, it, it, but it is on that, that keychain. And, and so it says here, the scepter, the sign of kingship, will not depart from Judah. And then it says, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. Now, that's in the ESV, and I've got most of y'all looking at the ESV these days. But I want you to understand what that means. It means, well, ESV says until tribute. NIV says until he comes to whom it belongs. It's saying the scepter won't depart until the one who's supposed to inherit it comes along. And then the King James and the New American Standard says it this way, until Shiloh comes. And the Jewish scholars of the Old Testament and in Jesus' day understood Shiloh to be a reference to the Messiah. That the Messiah would be in the king's line of David and he would get that rulership of of that. But now, go back and look at verse 10 carefully. The scepter won't depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff, until shiloh comes so that saying it did depart and in a sense it did and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples all the nations did you catch that the jewish people knew who their king was through dispersion and everything up to the days of jesus in 7 AD, Caesar Augustus took Archelaus away from ruling Israel, from being in charge of Israel, and made Rome the full governor, governorship of Israel in 7 AD. And he took away their right to capital punishment. They, were, they could not put him by to death. This is why the Pharisees and the council had to beg the Roman government to put Jesus on the cross. And the Roman government said, he's an innocent man, but I'll let you do it. And so Rome put him to death for the Jews' sake, but they didn't have the power to do it. The authority had been taken away in 7 AD. But guess who was a little kid in 70 AD? I mean, 7 AD, not 70, 7 AD. Guess who was a child in 7 AD? 7 AD. Yeah, A.D. means in the year of our Lord. Now, we know the calendar's off a little bit. He was born like between 3 and 5 A.D., we're not sure. So he's about two years old here, maybe four years old, maybe five. But Jesus is alive. Shiloh has come. The scepter, the right to self-rule, leaves, and he gets the scepter and establishes a spiritual kingdom forever. Jacob said that thousands of years before it happened very definitely and then the coming Messiah is going to be from the tribe of Judah it, the Bible tells us Micah 5.2 Bethlehem he predicts where he's going to be born Luke 2.11 Joseph goes to Nazareth to a town called in Judea to the city of David Bethlehem because he's of the house and lineage of David he leaves Nazareth and goes to Bethlehem so Jesus can be born in the town of David as a child of Judah and as a descendant of David the king and then Jeremiah 34 through 9 it says at the end of that uh, uh, and it shall come to pass in that day declares the Lord of hosts I'll break his yoke from off your neck and I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him but they will serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them notice back here in Genesis 49 the end of verse 10 And to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples or all the nations. And so this Jewish Messiah is going to rule over the world. Psalm 2, David said it. That God said, I'm going to make the nations your footstool. That's the promise to the Messiah. How is he going to do that? By being their Savior and their Lord. And those who aren't saved, we know when he comes back militarily, he's going to take over, right? Remember I tell you, you are now in a war. You are in God's army. If you are a Christian, you are defeating the enemy by bringing people to know the Lord. To bring them into obedience of Christ. So that he can rule the nations. And in in Revelation 7-9 we see that John sees people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. Standing before the throne and worshiping God. Because they've been saved out of the world. Jacob says this in in Egypt thousands of years before Jesus came and even two more thousand than where you sit today well I got another hour-long study in point three so I'm going to skip point three all right and I want you to uh, hear this last thing and that is these are the lessons of Jacob's blessing this is where I usually say well here's some stuff you can do Well, here's the stuff you can do. First of all, understand you're leaving a legacy for others to follow. You are going to make a difference for generations to come. Jacob tells these prophecies, these boys, you are leaving something for someone else to follow. And even if you don't have children, other people, there there are people in my life that have molded the way I think and the way I look at things. My parents, of course, are primary But I've learned so much from so many other people, and they made an impression they left a legacy for me. And you are doing that even if you don't know you're doing it. Secondly, learn from this. You can trust the Bible. Everything that is said in chapter 49, we can see history fulfilling it. And I want you to get that. When these things were said, Jacob was a guest in Israel his family are guests, I mean in Egypt. His family are guests in Egypt. They have no power. They have no authority. They are are dependent on the government for food. Now one of them is in charge of the government, which is a cool thing. But the reality is they're dependent on the government. So that later the government comes back and says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh. Y'all don't get that privilege anymore because I don't know who Joseph is. And that was then. This is now. You're going to be our slaves. And they're enslaved for 400 years. Right? So if Jacob is going to do what is natural. He's not going to keep speaking Hebrew. He's going to teach his boys Egyptian. But he didn't. And they didn't. They maintained their spiritual identity in a nation that did not know God. God expects us to stay faithful to him. We, to trust the word of God and stay faithful to what God tells us. And we ought to obey it. When the Bible shows us something we are doing that shouldn't be doing or we're not doing, we ought to be doing. We ought to change and do that or not do that, right? Third thing I want you to catch is this. God does great things even when you got very little to offer. Like I said, they're dependent on the government. They've got nothing. And God says, here's what I'm going to do with you guys. And he lays out history to Jacob and his sons. And for centuries, there are leaders in Israel that aren't from Judah. You don't have to be from Judah to be a leader. Moses was a Levite. Joshua was from Ephraim. Gideon was from Manasseh. It's kind of cool, Joshua and Gideon from those two sons of Joseph. Samson was from Dan. Samuel was from Ephraim. Saul, the, king, the first king, was a Benjamite. Saul in the New Testament was a Benjamite, that, that warrior tribe. And so if Jacob had insisted on getting along, he would have become an Egyptian, but he didn't. They maintain their identity. And we have to maintain our Christianity. It doesn't mean we don't associate with the world. Jesus ate with sinners. He drank with sinners. That's what we're supposed to do. But while we do that, we're to remember who we are. That we don't belong to this world. This is not our home. We have a different allegiance. Our allegiance is in heaven. And we've got to live as if we're already there, here and now. In fact, I may... Leave Bible books and preach on that in the coming days. That's a germ. I don't have the disease developed yet, so we'll have to see. But that's what I hope to do when I come back from Africa.